Thank you so much for being here, guys. We're so excited to uh, have you here at church. Thank you so much, worship team. Uh, that was powerful, man. I love that. Uh, I love that last thing that we sang and um, how it fits in actually today's message is just uh, uh, just inspiring me. It's just filling me up with uh, with, with life and, and, and joy and excitement. Uh, I want to welcome all of you guys to Rock Fellowship. Uh, we're so happy to have each and every one of you here joining us here in person. Uh, if you're watching online, we're so glad and thankful that you're watching, whether you're in Portland or uh, Alaska or you're in Arizona, we're so thankful and honored that you would spend this time with us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started a new series, and the series is called The Book of Esther. And in this series, what we're doing is we're just going through the book of Esther and we're, we're discovering and studying and learning about certain concepts and ideas and themes and theology that comes forth from the book of Esther. And right now we're in part three. And so we're like right in the middle of it. And there are, after this, there are two more messages um, that are coming on the book of Esther. And uh, I've been really blessed by studying the book of Esther and learning about this. You know, it's, it's an amazing story and it's so deep and so much richer than I think I thought it was. You know, I thought it was just about this courageous young woman who does a, a really amazing thing and has amazing faith. But it's actually so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. And it's extremely powerful. Now, next week... Um, I think there was some confusion because last week I previewed Pastor Jonathan's sermon next week. And it's not today, it's next week. And I believe that Pastor Jonathan's message is going to be the most helpful of all the entire messages. So uh, last week I said that the sermon was, you guys remember the most, what, hopeful, right? And it was because we said this God is the God of the reversal, so there's a lot of hope in that. Next week is the most helpful Meaning, I think it's going to make the biggest difference if you can apply what he talks about next week. It's going to make a huge difference in your life. And today, to me, is the most difficult sermon in this series. It is the most challenging sermon in the series. And it's most difficult to hear and maybe even more difficult to deliver. And uh, there have been moments as I prepared, I was like, Nobody wants to hear this, God. Like, seriously, nobody wants to hear what we're going to share today. But, you know, I, I hopefully I've been here long enough and have been with you long enough that you trust me. <laughs> and that, uh, and I believe that you want me to speak biblical truth to you. Uh, that you want me as your pastor who loves you and cares about you to share what you need to hear. Maybe not, even though it's not what you really want to hear. So today's challenging. And uh, I'm so thankful, though, to be here to share this message. Um, if you want to recap the series, go to our website, go to our YouTube channel or our, our podcast and listen to the messages. You get caught up, but we got to get into today's talk. And uh, let's pray. Let's pray. We need God's presence here with us. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, so much um, for today. And um, I just really ask for your help. Uh, there's nothing else I can ask for right now. I need you, we need you, and we need you to be here in this moment, Father, to guide these, these words that are going to come out of my mouth, Father, they be completely yours. If I don't know where it's going to go, I trust that it will not come back void as you have promised in Scripture. But I pray, God, that our hearts would be open as we sung about to hear the word, that we would be encouraged through this, even though it's very, very challenging what we're going to learn about today from this book. But thank you for the book of Esther and for what you've taught us through it so far. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to pick up the story of the book of Esther from chapter 4. And this is basically what we're going to do in today's sermon. Is we're just going to go through chapter 4. And we're going to spend the whole time on chapter 4. And we're going to go through kind of the progress of the story. 
And, uh, you know, I was actually kind of nervous about this because I was thinking, you know, if we just take one book and we just go through the verses, like, what if there's all these different ideas and, like, we can't really connect it into one, you know, coherent sermon or message. But what was cool is as I was studying and reading, what happened is in chapter 4, there's a common thread and a common theme that it goes throughout the entire chapter. And it's, it's revealed in different ways, but it was really, really cool. And so um, what it revealed to me, what God showed me was that chapter 4 and what we're talking about today is really a message for people in a specific situation. And that means it may not be uh, relevant right now in this moment for you. And, you know, that sucks, but that's God's word. He's going to do what he's going to do. But it will be extremely relevant for some people. And if you are in a place where you are making a hard moral decision this is the day you should be at church. If you're like struggling about a decision and like you know what you should do or what God wants you to do, but it's hard and it's difficult and you're going to experience pain and suffering from it or you're worried about the, the implications and what's going to happen, the after effects, and you're thinking, ah, oh, I could just cut the corners, I could just take it easy, maybe God doesn't, maybe I'll, I'll be faithful in these other ways. This one is too hard for me. If you're in that place, I think God wants to really speak to you today. Or if you've already made that decision and you're living in the consequences of that and life is hard. If you're in that place and you like maybe last year or during COVID, you made the right choice and like things are kind of tough now and you're like, oh, did I make the right choice? Like this is really hard. This message is for you. And I also feel like this message for people who generally are finding themselves in a very difficult season of life. And so maybe it's COVID, maybe it's a move, maybe it's a transition, maybe it's a loss of something. This, I feel like God wants to speak to you and really challenge you today to see the truth that he wants to convey to you. So we're going to start out the story from, Morde uh, from Esther chapter 4. And it's, it, it happens right after Haman's decree. So uh, I, I'm not going to spend too much time recapping the story. But Haman has basically come up with a decree to kill all the Jews in the entire empire of Persia. And this news has just been sent out. Right now it's on all the feeds. Right now it's on everyone's phone. Now it's the big news. Everyone's hearing about the decree that all the Jews are going to be killed in 11 months. In 11 months. And so uh, this is what happens when Mordecai hears about Esther chapter 4 verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done... He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he only went as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. So after Mordecai hears this, he goes into this mode, which is this like mourning mode. He tears his clothes, wears sackcloth, and puts ashes on his head. And I know that sounds very strange for us. Um, but this is a, was a very common practice in the ancient times, in, in biblical times. And it was a sign and it was, it was people would do this when they were like repenting of their sins. They felt like really bad and they like want to go to God and repent of their sins. If they had extreme sorrow or mourning, they would, they would tear their robes and wear sackcloth. Or if there was impending natural disaster or natural disaster had taken place. And so this is not a good thing. This is a very terrible thing. People do this when things are really, really, really bad. And so Mordecai hears the news, and I don't know if you can kind of get into his head today, but try to imagine what he's thinking. All the people in 11 months are going to be wiped out because of what I did. Right? Remember, why is this happening? Because Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman in the earlier chapters. And, and he didn't do anything wrong. This was the right thing to do. 
And he made that choice and he's living the consequences of his righteous actions. He did the right thing and things are horrible. Right? You know, sometimes we as Christians and we're in church, we kind of assume that if we do the right things, everything's going to be really nice and really good and really happy. That's actually not the case, guys. A lot of times we will try to make the right choice and everything will get worse. That's a reality of trying to live a life of faith in this kind of a world. And so everything gets worse. And Mordecai, I think he's, I think he's doing it for all, this, all the reasons, right? Like he's maybe repenting of some sins. I think he's sorrowful. He's mourning the situation. The natural disaster is coming. Like they're all going to die in just 11 months. And he is just having such a difficult time. He's weeping bitterly and everyone's hearing him. They're like, what's going on? And, and, and this kind of scene in chapter 1 and 2 it reminds us of something that everyone all knows, but I think we really need to just put it out there, right? Everyone all knows this, but let's just put it out for everyone to remember that sometimes it is really hard to do the right thing. Let's be honest. Sometimes it is really hard to do the right thing. And I, I don't want to minimize the struggle that you might have right now, right? I'm not going to say it's not a big deal. Just trust God and do it. No, I understand that sometimes doing the right thing is really, really really hard. That sometimes doing the right things will, will cause, cause tension in relationships. That doing the right things may, may cause you to lose money. That doing the right thing may be you losing out on opportunities and chances. Like I understand that doing the right thing sometimes, people will not be happy with you. And it is really really hard. So if you're in that place, like we understand. And, and just because you're struggling doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith or you're a bad person because you should have just been able to make the decision. No, it's really hard sometimes to make the right decision and to do the right thing. Okay, so like I just want to encourage you in that moment, if you're in that place, you're welcome here. We all struggle. It's not really easy for a lot of people. For some people it is, but others it's not so much. Now... After Mordecai does this, what happens is the entire nation basically follows, right? And so in verse 3, it says, In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloths and ashes. Many lay. So, so everyone is doing this now, right? So this is kind of like when we fly um, our flags at half mass, right? When some terrible tragedy happens and we fly the flags low. But this is so much more demonstrative and this is so much more emotional. So the entire nation is just weeping and mourning and crying bitterly and praying and fasting. And it's just a really, really rough time to be in Persia in this moment. But what we, if, if you just kind of read this story, Esther chapter 4, like just kind of read it for the plot, you're going to miss something here. There's this really cool kind of like, I guess, literary device that the author of Esther does here, right? Because what happens is you have, uh, you have all these people mourning and weeping and fasting and doing all these crazy things. They're in the streets. All the Jews, okay, many of the Jews, all the Jews, everyone is doing this except who? Except Esther. Everyone is doing this except Esther. Why? Because Esther's not in the streets. Esther's not living with the people. Where is she? She's in the palace right now. So what happens is she sees Mordecai at the gate crying like this. And she's like, Mordecai, 
what's going on? Like, what, why are you doing this? What, what happened to you? Why, why are you doing this? You, you should stop. And she actually sends him clothes to change clothes. She sends an attendant to find out what happened. She's completely oblivious to the situation. Right? She's, she's completely oblivious to the situation. She is completely unaware. Listen, guys, she's completely unaware of impending genocide of her people in less than a year. She has no idea what's happening. She has heard nothing, and she is just living her best life in the palace. While her people are in the street mourning and crying and fasting and suffering. And so I think what, what's happening is the author is, is juxtaposing these two scenes to create tension. Because and on one hand, you see all the people in this situation, and their queen is in the palace living a life of luxury. She's eating her fancy foods, wearing her fancy clothes. She has attendants fanning her with, with leaves, feeding her grapes. She's like getting, getting hair and makeup every day, mani-pedi all week long. Like it's just the life, right? Like she's just living it up. All the while her people are like in, in, in desperate mode. And there you see these two groups of people right next to each other in the scripture. And I think there's a tension there. And the tension reveals a question that the readers like us and them were supposed to ask. And the question is this. She is so different from them now. She was one of them, right? Like just a couple chapters ago, just about five years ago, she was just like them in the streets, living in those same houses. But she's so different, right? Like there's no physical distance, but there is an impossible socioeconomic gap right here in this moment. There's a huge impossible situational difference. Because remember, she doesn't, she has not revealed that she's a Jew, so she's actually safe. So the situation, it couldn't, couldn't be more stark. The differences couldn't be more stark. And the tension and the question is this, will Esther, who is so different from them, still fight for them? Like, does she even consider them her people anymore? Like, will she stand up and fight for these people when she might be okay? Will she, she cross that divide? Will she cross that gap? She who is royalty and those who are nothing, will she risk her life? Will she step through that gap and through that space to save them? Does it sound like someone you know? Sound like someone you've ever heard of? And so this is the kind of tension that the author is building here. And so, so, so uh, Mordecai makes the ask in verse 8. He says, hey, Esther, you need to fight for us. Like, we're your people, okay? I know you're, you're over there and you're living life and you're eating really, really good food and we're eating like, you know, scraps and stuff and we got nothing and you got everything. I get it. But you need to step up. You need to step up and you need to fight for us. You need to go to the king and you need to beg for our lives, okay? You got to do something. Please do something. And so she responds by saying, essentially what her answer is is, I don't know. Ah, I don't know, man. I'm not sure because, you know, like there's this rule that if you go to the king and unannounced, like he can just get rid of you. And he did it with Vashti, the queen before me. He killed her, man. He like got rid of her. I don't want that to happen to me. But if I just show up, like he could totally do that. And he hasn't even called for me in 30 days. Right, like that's a long time. Like if he was calling me every day, I think, you know, I'd feel much better about it. But it's been 30 days, she says, since he's called me. And if I go, like, ugh, it could be the end of me. And, and what's going to happen then? 
Right? Like, if I'm dead, like, there's no hope, right? So we got to be real careful about this. I don't know if this is something I'm willing, I'm willing to do. So Esther, like Mordecai, is now put in a position of an extremely difficult moral decision. What are you going to do, Esther? What are you going to do? Are you going to fight for your people? Are you going to risk your life? What are you going to do? And so what we see actually in the book of Esther chapter 4 is chapter 4 reveals how Mordecai was able to make the decision he made when he was facing Haman. And it also shows us how Esther was able to make the right decision when she was faced with this impossibly difficult moral choice. Right, so this is what's really cool about the book of Esther chapter 4. Is it's four people who are in the situation, but it also reveals the mind of Mordecai, the theology of Mordecai that empowered him and enabled him to make the right call. And I think if we can take, can take hold of what we learn in chapter 4 and we apply it and internalize it in our lives, it's going to empower and enable you guys to make the right choice when the time comes. Right, like you're, you're going to be in that moment and you're not going to be worried and scared and you're not going to hem and haw. You're going to know what the right thing is to do and you're going to have the power and the courage to do the right thing because of what you believe about God that we're going to learn today in Esther chapter 4. So this is why this is such an important and challenging verse. So this is where Mordecai's speech comes in, right? And this is kind of the most famous part of the book of Esther. And the fam most famous verse is chapter 4, verse 14, where he says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And this is kind of like the motivational statement of the book. For such a time. Like, I don't know how many sermons are called for such a time as this, right? Like that's such a great line. Even the phrasing of it is just like gold, man. As someone who preaches and communicates, it's just like an awesome dramatic line. For such a time as this. Oh, so good, right? And so when I've heard this verse and I was taught this verse in many different situations, I've always felt that this, this, this message of Mordecai was kind of a, a pep talk. Right, it was kind of like a motivational speech. It was kind of like what the coach says to you before the game. He gathers all the people or she gathers all the people and tries to fire you up, right? And you do the chance. And we're going to win this. We're the best. We're the champions, right? Like he's kind of doing this thing. We're going to do it. We're going to win, right? And I kind of thought that this was what Mordecai was doing. He was hyping Esther up, helping her to understand like God is with her. You were placed here by God's hand at this time and you're going to do it. And you're going to be fine and you're not going to die and the king's going to do it and you're going to save everybody, right? Like that's kind of what I thought Mordecai was doing. And I think most of us probably thought that, that was the situation. But if you read this verse in context, it's really wild what Mordecai is doing here. Okay, so we have that very inspirational verse. But look at the verse right before in chapter 4, verse 13. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. I, I don't know. I've been preaching a long time and like that's not the best way to start a motivational speech. You know what I mean? Or I don't know, maybe it is. It's like a different kind. But like, he's like trying to, if he's trying to hype her up, the first thing he said to her is, listen, you think you're all good up in the palace? No, 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 no. If you don't do anything, you're going to be just like us. We're in the same boat, sister. Right? Like you think, you think you're like this fancy person living in the palace. Like you, you think you're just like crazy. You think you're amazing and you're awesome. Like that's not you. You're Esther from the block, man. I knew you when we were kids. I, you're just like one of us. And if everything keeps going, you are going to die too. 
You're going to die too. Like you're not safe is what he's saying. Right? And so what I realized from this first verse, this is not a motivational speech. This is not a pep talk. What is this? This is a straight up rebuke to Esther. Mordecai is looking at her, well, through an attendant, at her in the face and saying, you are not safe. You are not different than us. We are all in this together whether you like it or not. And so he says, you alone will not be safe. You're in the same situation as us. And then you would think that the, where he would go from there, given the circumstances, was then you need to go to the king, right? Because it's not just our lives, it's your life too. Right? Like we all need this help. So go talk to the king, make it happen and save our lives, right? Like do that. But that's not what he says. And what he says after was like where I want to slow down and kind of focus in on what, what he's talking about here. And this is like really surprising. He doesn't say go to the king yet. He says to her, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent, listen to this, at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Like this is a really strange thing for him to say. What do you mean? Uh, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from a different place. So then it's like, why are you getting on my case, Mordecai? Like you just said, someone else is going to come, even if I don't do anything, even if I don't risk my life, Deliverance is going to come and it's going to be fine. So why are you like getting in my face and telling me to risk my life for this when you believe that this is going to happen? See, what Mordecai is saying is God is not going to let the Jews, let, he's not going to let this be the end of the Jews. Right? Like deliverance is going to come, Esther. Be sure about that. Deliverance is going to come. Salvation is going to come. What he's saying here is that the, the, the God has a promise for his people and this is not the end. He will be faithful through it all. So what's the problem here? So Esther's like, we're good then, right? Who's going to save us all? So we're fine. And then this is what he says. But you and your father's family will perish. What? Like, what are you talking about, Mordecai? Deliverance and relief will arise from a different place, but you and your family, which is her and him also and his family, because they're all family, will perish. Like, we're all going to die. So deliver. So this is like so strange. Deliverance is going to come from another place, but we're all going to still die. And so this is where we're going to get to the mind of Mordecai, is what I'm calling it, the mind of Mordecai, to understand, like, what he's thinking. And this is what under, uh, Mordecai believes, which allowed him to be, to make the right decision when the time came. And this is also what Esther will believe that will enable her to make the right decision as well. Okay, so let's like back up to hear what, what really Mordecai is saying. I, I hope you're really wondering. I hope you're like, what is he talking about? What Mordecai is saying is crazy, guys. He's saying deliverance is going to come. God's going to save his people. This is not the end of the Jews. The Jews' line will continue. The kingdom will keep going. It's going to be fine. But actually, even if that happens and God does provide deliverance somewhere, you, me, my kids, my wife, my friends, we might still, we might still be gone. So this is what he's saying. 
He's saying, we could all die, but that wouldn't mean God was unfaithful. We could all die. Esther, you, me, my kids, my friends. Remember Johnny and Peter and, and all those guys we used to hang in, we hang out with and we grew up. We could all be gone in 11 months, but God is still not unfaithful. Like, what are you talking about, Mordecai? Like that's crazy, right? For us, it is completely the opposite thing, right? It is, it, it is these situations, these difficult situations, loss of loved ones, uh, uh, unanswered prayers, traffic accidents, disease, uh, tragedy, these things that happen that lead us to believe that God is unfaithful. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing, God, you must not care or you don't exist. Those are... That's the vocabulary of saying God is unfaithful. But Mordecai is completely flipping it. He's like, no, 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 we could all die. And the worst thing in the world could happen to us today or in 11 months. But God would still be faithful. That's how Mordecai saw things. That even if the worst things happen to me and my family, I can still say that God is faithful. Why? Because deliverance is going to happen. It just may not happen for me at this time. But just because his deliverance doesn't happen for me at this time, doesn't mean God's not faithful. God is still faithful. God is still faithful. What it comes down to for Mordecai is timing. And he understands something that if we could understand, it would be huge. And it would make your faith rock solid. See, what he understood was this. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our preferred timeline. Let me say that one more time. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our preferred timeline. Right? If you really think about it, timing is the problem for a lot of us. Why? Because we want God to do what we want him to do when? Now. When we want it to be done. I want it now. Not tomorrow, God. Save me now. Fix it now. Help me now. And if you don't, then I'm not sure I really care about you. I'm not sure you really care about me. I'm not sure if you're really trustworthy. If you don't do, and, and listen to that statement, right? Like, isn't that a crazy statement? God, first of all, God, I want you, which is kind of what we do in our prayers, let's be honest. I want you to do what I want you to do when I want you to do it. Come on, man. Right? But let's be honest. That's, what, that's how we pray and that's what we hope for. And when it doesn't happen at the right time, we question his faithfulness. We wonder if he's really good. But this is huge, guys. If we can move to a place where our faith in God and trust in him, him is not dependent on our timeline, your faith will explode. It'll grow and be rock solid. Right? If we could learn to understand that, right? Because this is like the biggest issue. This is the biggest issue for us is not that God doesn't do what we've asked or he doesn't answer our prayers, is he doesn't do it when we want him to answer our prayers. Mordecai is like deliverance can come in a hundred years. And he's still faithful, even if I'm long gone. It doesn't matter what happens to me. He's still faithful. Because for Mordecai, it's not about the preferred timeline. It's just about did God fulfill his promise. And he's like, absolutely he will. It doesn't matter if it's tomorrow or next week or next month 
or in five or ten years. He is faithful to his promise, therefore he is faithful. doesn't matter when he does it. All I know is he's going to do it. And so I want you guys to understand when it comes to God's faithfulness, and this is where we can get really practical. When it comes to God's faithfulness and when it comes to understanding God's faithfulness, listen to this. God's faithfulness, let, let, uh, sorry, next slide. Nope. God's faithfulness cannot be determined by looking in the present. It is determined by looking back. Let me, let me explain what this means. If you wonder, if you're trying to see if God is faithful, you cannot determine if God is faithful right now in the present moment. That's not how it works. Because in the present moment, you're surrounded by circumstances and emotions and problems and, and, and issues and desires. And like we get it. Like I understand why we want God to do what he, we want him to do when we want to do it. Like I get it. And, and in, that, in that present moment, if we try to decide, okay, if we try to decide whether or not God is faithful because of a single moment in time, you will conclude that God is unfaithful. If you're just thinking one day, all right, I'm going to, for once and for all, I'm going to decide if I believe God, if I trust God, if he's trustworthy, I'm just going to base it right now on what's happening today and my issues. And if he's going to show up today, you will conclude he is unfaithful. But God's faithfulness is not to be determined by looking at the present. It's by looking at the past. It's by looking back at his track record. Looking at this is why God says to his people time and time again, remember, remember what the Lord did for you. Remember what I did. Because if you can look backwards and see what God has been doing in your life for the last 10, 20, 30 years, you will see that God is faithful. But if you're like, I got to base it on right now, you won't. So it's so important that we understand that God's faithfulness can't be determined by looking in the moment. we got to look back and look at his track record and look how he led you and look how he's there for you. And, and this is the crazy thing. What's so important about this moment and the reason why this works is because when you look backwards, you get a little glimpse of God's perspective. Because when you look back, you can look at the big picture. You can look about how, how that event connected to this event, and you can see how if that didn't happen specifically in that way, then this wouldn't have happened, and this wouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't be with the ones I love. I wouldn't be in the place. I wouldn't be in the job that I love. I wouldn't be with the friends I have. I wouldn't be in the place I am right now if all those things didn't happen. And you look back and you say, oh, God is so faithful. Because we are given a moment and an opportunity to see the big picture. And when you do that, you will conclude that God is faithful. In the moment right now, we have no big picture because we're in the moment. All we can see is what's right in front of us. But here's my question. What if in the moment right now, when you're deciding and trying to, you're struggling with God's faithfulness because of problems in your life, because of issues and stress, because of all these things, you're not sure if God is faithful. What if in that moment, God illuminated your mind and you saw the big picture? Do you think your prayer in that moment would change? It would be completely different. If we had the big picture, if God laid it all out for us, the big picture of our lives and our families and our friends, our prayers would be completely different. But we don't have that. 
So that's why we got to be careful about determining whether or not we trust God, believe God, whether he's good because of a single moment in time. You got to look back. And so this is what Mordecai is saying. I've seen God faithful for thousands of years in our history and in my life. So there's no reason I don't believe that deliverance will not come from another place. It may not be you, Esther, but it's going to come from a different place. And we're going to be fine even if I'm dead. Even if I'm killed for doing the right thing. Even if right now it's so hard because all these people are freaking out because of my decisions, I can live with it because God is faithful. And he's going to provide deliverance. I don't know when, but he will. So I can live with my decisions. I can live with my life. I can endure through this pain and suffering because I know that God is faithful. That's what empowered him. When he was in front of Haman, the prime minister, second in the empire, say, bow before me. He's like, nope. Doesn't that remind you of another story? Another story in the exile when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in front of the most powerful man on earth, King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, bow before me. And they said, nope. And this, he said something very similar to Mordecai. Even if God doesn't save us, we won't bow. He's still faithful even if we die. And Mordecai repeats that same sentiment, even if we all die, God is absolutely faithful. This is Mordecai's mind. This is why if we could understand this and adopt this, you can face all the hard moral decisions and make the right choice. You can end the relationship that needed to be ended. You can have the conversation that needs to be had. You can be quiet when you know that the right thing to do is just to shut up, you could do that if you remember God is faithful. You, you, can, you can live a life of integrity. You, can, you don't have to cut corners when you know that God is faithful. Because in this moment, it's hard, but you know where God is taking you. So you can do it when you're empowered by understanding this truth and having this kind of a faith and trust. Mordecai's crazy, huh? Mordecai's crazy. And if we were, oh man, I just can't imagine if we're able to kind of like tap into that and kind of develop that for our own lives. But here's the crazy thing, all right. So a couple weeks ago on Friday Night Live, um, our Friday night program, we had the college students out here. And Ed said something. And he said, you know, Pastor Chris, when he preaches a sermon, he drops some haymakers. And then the kids were like, what are haymakers? Right? And a haymaker is like a... It's just like a really strong punch, right. And what he means by that is like sometimes I say some things that are like really, really heavy. And I'm saying that because what I'm about to say right now, this is a haymaker. And I'm like nervous about it, okay. And this is a hard one. Okay. So this whole situation is happening. And he says, Esther, listen, Esther. You could die. And I could die. And my kids could die. And we all be dead. And it doesn't mean that God is not faithful. What it means, Esther, what it means, Esther, it simply means if we all die, it means you were unfaithful. If we all die in this moment, it's not because God was unfaithful. It's because you, Esther, were unfaithful. Because maybe for such a time as this, he put you in this very place. 
And this is what I'm saying, man. This is what Mordecai is saying. The opposite side of his conversation and his point that he's making, the opposite side is this, right? God is going to be faithful no matter what happens to me. But this is what he's saying. It is easy to confuse my unfaithfulness with God's unfaithfulness. It is easy to confuse my bad decisions as God's unfaithfulness. The situation that I have put myself in, I can easily blame God for that when really in reality it was all me. And in that moment, it's so easy, guys, and God makes it easy to be a, to be a scapegoat. It's so easy to say, God, how could you let this happen? And God's like, how could you let this happen? It's easy to do that. It's easy to confuse my unfaithfulness for God's unfaithfulness. And, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you're unfaithful, God is going to punish you and all these bad things are going to happen to you. I'm not saying that all the bad things in your life are a result of your own mistakes and, your, you, know, your, and, and you deserve all that. That's not what I'm saying. All, all I'm saying is it's easy in those moments where we're having a hard time struggling with these decisions, struggling with the consequences of our decisions to be like, God, why would you let this happen? But it's easy to confuse our unfaithfulness with God's unfaithfulness. Or it's easy to confuse other people's, humanity's unfaithfulness with God's unfaithfulness. And it's easy to have moments where you curse God and are angry at God. And he had very little to do with it. So before you, before you place blame on God, you have to take a moment and ask yourself, am I confusing God's quote-unquote unfaithfulness with my unfaithfulness. And like, let's be honest, we do this all the time, right? When you're in school and you, before you take your test, you're like, Lord, I didn't study that much. <laughs> God, I was really busy, man. That game was so fun. And I was really hungry. So help me today. Give me that, remember that Ben Carson miracle, right? <laughs> Tonight, let me see all the answers to the test. Let it be a miracle. I will glorify you and give a testimony of your greatness if you would do this for me, God. And you take that test and you bomb that test. You're like, God, how could you do this to me? And God's like, bro, you didn't study. Right? We have those moments where we, we, we didn't prepare. We were unfaithful in our life, in our situations. They're a result of our bad mistakes. Let's be honest with that. We chose to buy the thing that we shouldn't have bought. We put ourselves in debt. We chose to extend ourselves. And now we're like, God, help me out. Get me through this. But it's like, dude, you made that decision. Or you may be in a, a situation and it's because somebody else was unfaithful. It may not be your fault, but that's kind of the reality of life. Other people's unfaithfulness could ruin your life too. But in that moment, the thing to do is not to blame God, but it is to run to him because he still is faithful. That's what's going to get you through. That's, when it, that's what's going to get you to endure even through the hard times, realizing and knowing that God is faithful. If you don't know that, you can't get through it. How are you going to get through it then? It's so much harder to get through those times when you don't trust him. But you can trust him. And so as we close this message, this third part of Esther, Esther chapter 4, man, mind-blowing chapter, dude. So challenging for me. So challenging for a lot of us. But this is all I want you guys to know. And this is how I'm going to conclude this, all right. What I want you to know here is God is faithful. Can we all say it together? 
faithful. God is faithful. And the reason why I want you to know that God is faithful is because when you know that, you can endure through anything and you can make the right choices even if they're hard. If you remember and know and trust that God is faithful because of not the moment right now, but because you've, you've seen the way he's led your life. And you can say, we got this, God, because I know you. And I know what you've done, so we're going to be fine. I'm going to make the tough choice, and it's all going to be fine. So that's what I want you to know. And here's what I want you to do. If you find yourself in a place right now, if you're at a place where you're like, you know, I'm not really sure how faithful God has been. Like, I know he has. Like, you're telling me this, and I believe it in my brain, and I believe it in my mind, but I don't really know. I have an exercise for you, okay. It's a little worksheet, okay. It's a little packet of like five three pages, and there's like five questions on there. If you want to see God's faithfulness, I want you to reach out to me through our church email, through our Instagram, through our so, or just text me and say, I would like that packet, okay. And it's this little exercise that's going to take, it could take a little bit of time. But if you do that, every, okay, no joke, every single person that I've done this with, including myself, the conclusion of that is like, oh my goodness, God is amazing. God has been so faithful to me. We did this with our leadership, uh, uh, I think a couple of years ago, we were in that chapel and we went through this process and we talked about it and it was such a powerful moment as everyone was looking back on their lives and seeing God's hand moving through it all, even though they didn't really know at the time. Right, like as we live in this world of the book of Esther where God is more hidden than in the book of Genesis and, 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 and the Gospels, we got to trust in God's faithfulness. He's there. So if you, if, if you want to be more aware of God's faithfulness. I want you to reach out to me through that email. We're going to put the email up later as we do our announcements. Uh, if you have my number, just call or just call me or text me my email, and I'll send you this packet. It's a short thing that you go through. I think it's going to show you, man. You're going to see God's hand moving in your life in the last, you know, the last in your history, and it's such a powerful, powerful experience, and it's going to strengthen you for the future. So as we close this message, that's my challenge for you guys. If you want to see God's faithfulness. Go do this exercise. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be real, a huge blessing for you. Now next week, like I said, Pastor Jonathan is going to be sharing a message that's going to be so helpful. I think it's going to be the most helpful of the message series uh, because it has to do with like how do we navigate life in the world of Esther, right? Like where God is hidden, how do we learn to see him? I think all of us would all want to be able to walk away with a little bit clearer perspective and clearer vision on God's movement of our lives. So I want to invite you guys back. That's how we're going to end today's message. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for, oh man, this challenging message, Lord. I, I know that this is hard to hear, especially for people who are kind of in, in rough circumstances, um, who are struggling and who are suffering, God. But God, in that moment, Lord, what we need to understand, what's going to change it all, what's going to help us endure, is trusting in your faithfulness. Not using this moment to question and doubt and wonder about who you are, but that we would cling to you in this moment, Father. Lord, whether it's through the exercise or not, I pray, God, that you would help us to walk away, each and every single one of us, with awareness of your faithfulness. Like even if we haven't been faithful in our lives, Lord, help us to see how faithful you've been. Help us like to look at our, our friends and our job and our family and, and our kids and be like, wow, God, you are so faithful. Like as we, when we sing that song, you're so, so good to me, Lord, I, I hope that we would have pictures and images and thoughts of how we can come to that conclusion, Lord. Let us see your faithfulness in our lives, God. 
like never before. And that is my prayer for everyone here and everyone watching at home. In your name we pray. Amen.